Hello, everybody. It's so good to be with you all today as we start our Advent series, learning about the birth and life of Jesus Christ, right? This is December. is the time of Christmas. This is a perfect time to do it. Seems like we do it every year, but <laughs> I feel like it's necessary, right? All right. So why don't I start us off in prayer? Everyone close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's start praying together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the brothers and sisters who are here, also the brothers and sisters who are not here, who are watching online, and also for the people that cannot make it. God, I thank you for all of them, for we are one body. We are united together in learning from you, in searching you, and also uh, in loving you, Father. I thank you for your Son, for the cross, what everything you have done for us, and for everything that you will continue doing for us, because you are our God. God, I pray during this time that you empower me, they give me your Holy Spirit. May I be humble in preaching your word and in teaching uh, what you've wanted us to learn. I thank you, God, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Christmas time is actually one of my favorite times of year. I know that's kind of cliche for a Christian to say, but I love Christmas music so much. So I really wanted to share with you guys one of my favorite songs about Joseph. If I could find one. Next slide, please. Right? So I went on to Google, and I wanted to search, you know, what are Christmas songs about Joseph? Uh, we have songs about Jesus, about Mary, about snow, about peace, about light, about hope. You know, that's a good one. About love, angels, joy, and shepherds. But no Joseph. No Joseph, right? So no Christmas songs about Joseph. I did eventually find one, but it was kind of not my style. I was like, oh, I don't really want to share this, but... And I wanted to listen to it, see what the, you know, the artist was trying to say. But it seems like, you know, throughout culture, throughout understanding of Christmas, a lot of our focus is sometimes on Jesus, which is correct, and also on Mary, which is also another good subject. But sometimes, you know, commercialism or love or, I don't know, snow or light, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure if that's such a great topic for a, a Christmas song. But people are feel, feel free to... You know, use whatever they want to sing about Christmas, however they want, right? People can express themselves in however way they want. But I really wanted to learn more about Joseph. I really wanted to figure out, like, okay, so, you know, in Matthew chapter 1, we talk so much about Joseph. The entire chapter is pretty much about him, and uh, eventually Christ is born at the end of it. So I wanted to figure out, like, who is this Joseph? Who is the father of Jesus, or the adoptive father of Jesus, right? I'm sure that, you know, when we have our little nativity scenes, there's Mary, there's Jesus, and there's also like a Joseph there, but we don't really know too much about him. Our culture, or maybe even our churches, don't stress too much about this character. So I began researching, I started studying about Joseph, and you know, you wouldn't believe the things that I found. So next slide, please. Turns out uh, Joseph, was actually not very well-liked within the early church. He was always actually the butt of many jokes, and many artists love making fun of him. Right, so in this picture is actually a really weird one, the first one, with uh, Jesus looking uh, at Mary, you know, intentively, and then there's Joseph, on the ground, on all fours, blowing on a fire. Like, why would you do this? Why would you make him look so old, so pathetic, why would you make him look like this person? Like in my head, like I thought, oh, Joseph was like a young man 
maybe he was like 6'3 with an athletic build, you know, no, I'm kidding. So, but in my head, it's like, you know, what, what, who is the ideal father, right, for God? Who does God want Jesus' father to be like, to look like, to act like? So, you know, I have these competing images of, you know, what the early church thought Joseph looked like. As someone who was humble, who was on the ground, you know, who was old, but still trying to take care of his family, right? And then the other image that I found was, you know, this is of the three magi. The three magi, they're all regal, they're well-clothed, and there's Mary dressed in, like, like, beautiful blue, and they're all, you know, looking at Jesus. And then there's Joseph, you know, in the stable, <laughs> next to the animals, kind of looking in, peering in. It's like, what's going on, right? What's going on with my family? It seems like, you know, a lot of people didn't respect Joseph at this time. He was more of a comedic character. He was played for laughs. We're supposed to look at this and kind of like, wow, you know, Jesus and Mary, beautiful, wonderful, amazing, the light of the world, and Joseph, ha, look at this guy, you know, who is this person? Like, he doesn't fit in with the rest of the story, or so it seems, right? The reason why is because, you know, the story of Joseph being a man, taking care of somebody else's child, being married to a woman, but not, you know, consummating the marriage. This was incredibly shameful in many different cultures, even today, right? If, you know, when you're older and you hear someone like, let's say your uncle, and he marries someone, but she's already pregnant with somebody else's child, you'd be like, oh man, that's really tough. That's really embarrassing, or that's really shameful. That's not something that we normally should be doing, right? So throughout many cultures, in his timeline, in Joseph's timeline, taking care of Jesus would have made him look like a fool. Taking care of somebody else's child, adopting that child, would have made him look like a fool. In Roman times, in classical times, even past the Roman age, into the medieval period, this type of act would have ostracized you or put you away from your community. It's not something that's a good look, right? It's something that you do embarrassingly, that most people, if you're smart, you think, like, this is only what fools do. This is only what you know, kooky old, you know, people would do. So that's why they drew Joseph to be like this. He, he was an embarrassment. They put a lot of embarrassment on him. They loved making fun of him for thousands of years, for th- hundreds of thousands of years during his time and during uh, way after he passed away. But here's the thing, right? So next slide, please. Oh, well, yeah, so I'm sure also Joseph might have also felt like, you know, some sort of way about this. So I found also a... a a meme image is like, you know, Jesus asking mom, it's like, mom, where do babies come from? And then Joseph would be maybe a little bitter about his situation, right? Having to take care of Jesus, like, yeah, Mary, where do babies come from? I'm not sure if Joseph would have actually thought this, but maybe if it were us, you know, maybe we would feel this way. Like if God made us take care of a child that is not ours, but, you know, you can't step away from it because he's the salvation of the world. He's the hope of all eternity. He's like, well, what can I do? It's like, I can't not care for him or else we're all doomed, right? So he might have felt like maybe a little bitter, maybe a little angry, maybe a little resentment towards God. But I, I don't think so, right? Joseph is, if we look at the text, if we look at Joseph, who he actually is, then we'll see a completely different image of him. So next slide, please. In the, the first chapter of Matthew, we see three important traits of Joseph, right? The first thing is his character as a father and his character as a man, right? He has great character throughout the first chapter. The second one is actually his Davidic lineage, right? So there's an important understanding that he comes from a line 
of kings, right? He comes from a line of royalty. He's not just some random Joe Schmo from another random tribe. No, he has a certain prophet said, uh, he has a certain lineage towards him. His family is, is from something. But also the third part is, is his part in the messianic prophecy. So it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the Davidic lineage. But also at the same time, there's a prophecy in here that Jesus would be called Emmanuel. And I'll begin to explain this uh, later on. So Joseph's character, Joseph's lineage, and his importance to prophecy. Right, so Joseph's character. Verse 19, after the birth of... uh, So I'll just read 18 through 19 first. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Right? So this shows that Joseph was someone who was considerate of other people's feelings. Not only that, but scripture says that he was a just man. Well, he was also just a man, but <laughs> a just man, yes. Right? So he cared about you know, his fiancée's uh, image. He didn't want her to be shamed. You know, at this time, if you were pregnant with somebody else's child and you, know, you didn't have a father, then that child would end up becoming illegitimate. It wouldn't be able to participate in synagogue. It wouldn't be able to participate in community. They would be completely left out of society. In some worst places, in the most rural places, they would actually stone you to death for this, right? So Joseph didn't want to make a big deal about it because he cared about Mary. He cared about her even though, you know, in his eyes, this could have been a sin, right? So he he wanted to divorce her, right? But however, in verse 24, right, we see that the angel comes, or before this, the angel comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him that, you know, this person, right, she will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Right? This person, Jesus, comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from another man. It comes from God. Right? Jesus is the son of God. So, you know, God is commanding Joseph to do this. Joseph could easily say, like, no way, I'm not doing it. Find another guy to put this child on. You know, I, I don't want to take care of a child. I don't want to take care of a wife who, you know, is pregnant. Right? He could say that. He could say that. But that's not what he chooses to do, right? In verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, right? He follows God's directions and he is chased, right? When the Bible says he knew her not, it means he didn't sleep with her. He didn't, you know, he didn't... uh, (laughs) It commemorate the marriage. I forget what it's called. <laughs> Whoops. He, he did not do it, right? He let her be on her own, right? He did as God told him to do, right? So he willingly took care of a child who is not biologically his. That requires a lot of strength. That requires a lot of courage because at this time he would have been made fun of or he would have been seen as an embarrassment, not just to different strangers, but actually especially in his family, especially in, to his brothers and sisters, to his parents, right? So that is Joseph's character. He's a just man. He's a person who cares about other people, and he's willing to take on the responsibility of taking care of Jesus, right? He willingly does so. He follows God's command. 
we want like these type of people in our lives, right? A just person who's willing to take responsibility, who's willing, able to sacrifice for other people. Right? So that's Joseph. Very different from how the medieval people thought about him. So next slide, please. Next part is uh, Joseph's Davidic lineage. Right? That's very important to the story as well. In fact, the first 18 verses comes from just reading how Jesus Christ, who is the son of Joseph, actually is from the son of David line and also the son of Abraham. Right? The Messiah was prophesied to be part of the Davidic line, part of this kingly line. Right? So Joseph himself, right, he was 14 generations separated from David. And David was 14 generations separated from uh, Abraham. And this is important, right? Because when we look at David, when we look at Solomon, you know, what is the most important thing that they did? Maybe, you know, if you learn from world history or something, it's like, oh, you know, they created the kingdom, they powered Israel. But no, in scripture, the most important thing even to the Jewish people, the most important thing that they've done is that they built the temple, right? They built the temple of God, which the spirit of God would dwell within, right? David was the architect, but God told him, you cannot build this temple because you have too much blood on your hands. So his son, Solomon, eventually is the one who builds and constructs the physical temple, right? So G Joseph, his, work of, his line of work is very interesting, right? He's called a carpenter in scripture, but also at the same time, this word carpenter is also technon, which is, you know, like a builder. It's where we get our word technology or architect from. So he was a person who would construct things, who would put things together. And Joseph, you know, while David built, uh, was an architect for the temple and Solomon built the temple, Joseph would help build the new temple, which is Jesus Christ, right? He would raise Jesus Christ up. So the temple, right, being where it was God who dwells with his people, Joseph would help build up Christ, the physical embodiment of God. Right? You see that imagery over there. Right? This Davidic line is held responsible of building the place that is what holds God, the spirit of God. And Jesus Christ, being the son of God, you know, Jesus, I mean, uh, Joseph feeds Jesus. Joseph takes care of Jesus. Joseph is like a father to Jesus protecting him and growing him, right? So in some way, he is building up the new physical embodiment of God. Next slide, please. The final part is Joseph's part in the Messianic prof prophecy. You know, so in Matthew one twenty three, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's Matthew one twenty three. That's the thing in quotations. It's quoting Isaiah 7, uh, 7.14. Right, Emmanuel, that word means God with us. And just like how the temple was a place for God's spirit to dwell on earth, right, Jesus is literally God dwelling among us. Right, so you know, the people who call Jesus Emmanuel, God among us, is not Joseph. You know, Joseph is commanded by the angel to name his son Jesus. But look in the prophecy. The prophecy says they shall call Jesus God among us. Right, so who is this they? Who is this they? Right, so next slide, please. The they is us as part of the church. The they is us. We will be the people calling Jesus God on earth. We are the people who are supposed to be believing that God is here with us. If we believe, if we have faith in Christ, then we become part of his body. Right, so 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Right, this is a famous verse. 
Uh, it usually gets misquoted a lot because it has that idea of, you know, your body is a temple, right? You might have heard that in popular Christian sites or different places, but actually it's not you singular, it's you plural, right? That's the you that they're using. It's a plural. So it should be said that is like, or do you all not know that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You all, whom you all have from God, you all are not your own, for you all were bought with the price. So glorify God in y'all's body. So this image, right, if we bring it out, it sounds really Southern and sounds really confusing, right? Because we're normally used to saying just you, right? You can mean one person or you can mean like a whole crowd of people, many different people. But what Paul is trying to say is that when we become Christians, when we become united with Christ, it's like we are one of the building blocks of the temple that Solomon had constructed, right? We are one of the blocks on this temple. It's not our body is a whole temple individual by itself. No, each and every one of us plays a part in building up the embodiment of God on earth, right? So this is really important because in the next six, verse, uh, six chapters, Paul would also say in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, for just as a body is one and has many members and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Right? He's highlighting this idea that all of us make up the body of Christ, make up the new temple. You know, the place where God dwells within is no longer a physical landscape but actually it is within us. Because just as God dwells within Jesus, we, uh, God also dwells within us because we make up the new temple. In some sense, you know, Joseph building up Jesus, raising him up from a baby into childhood, into his teen years, into becoming an adult, he's building you know, us up as well. He's building us up because we are united in Christ in one body. Not only that, but we are united one another together in this body of Christ. Really big, heady stuff, but I hope that you can kind of see this line that I'm trying to draw, right? So the next part of it is that, uh, next slide, please. Right, so the humility of Joseph, right? So why does God choose this one person to build up Jesus, right? When we're choosing someone to be our life partner, we hope that, you know, oh, maybe they have a lot of money or maybe they have uh, a really good standing in society. Or maybe, you know, they're good looking, right? For some of us, maybe they're young, maybe they're healthy. Why does God choose Joseph, someone who seems to just be a builder? Yeah, we said he has a lot of great traits about him already, right? He's just, he's a good person, he has good character, but wouldn't you want somebody that's more powerful, someone who's powerful and also just at the same time, someone who has a lot of money, who can take care of Jesus better, make sure that Jesus is more well-protected? Why didn't God choose a powerful ruler or a king so that when Jesus grew up, he'd be able to be more amazing and be able to overpower so many different oppositions that he has to face in his life? You know, Joseph himself was very diligent in being a father figure to Jesus. But so could a lot of other people, right? So why does God choose 
Joseph. Why does God choose Joseph? Right, so the next slide, please. I want to read to us 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. All right, so here's the Christmas story, right? You have Joseph. He's really just a normal, average person. He cares about God. He cares about other people. He's not looking to, for anything amazing to transform his life. Right? He's not great. You know, a lot of us, when we think about it, you know, we want to do great things for God. I'm not so sure if Joseph was like, I want to do great things for God. Right? He was just a person trying to live his life out well. Right? So God chooses him. But not only does he choose him, but in a way that seems you know, kind of embarrassing, right? He chooses Joseph, and Joseph accepts that what he is going to do will result in him being embarrassed or consider a joke for thousands of years. Even amongst his peers, he would be considered sort of someone who is foolish, right? So God chooses this thing. God specifically says that, you know, he chooses the foolish in the world to shame the wise. Why? Because the wise and the powerful they're so full of themselves. They're filled with pride. They constantly think that they know what they're doing, right? Maybe in times we want to think to ourselves like, hey, you know, the way that I want to live out Christianity, if I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to do this, then I want to be great at it, right? That's the real type A within us. If I'm going to go and study math or consider myself to be, you know, a scientist or, I don't know, a politician or a lawyer or a doctor, you know, I want to, if I want to do this, then I have to be great at it, right? We're competitive. We do this. But, you know, God doesn't necessarily need these types of people, right? He wants to choose the people who are completely average, the people who are below average, the people who are poor, people who are brought, broke down by the world. He takes them and he makes them beautiful. He takes them and he makes them beautiful. Not so much that... You know, they will say, like, oh, look at how far I fell. And then, like, now look at where I am. No, it's not so that they would boast, but that they might boast in God, right? They can say, like, man, I was so lowly. I was so down here. I was so below everyone else, but now I'm here. Not through my own strength, not through my own power, but through God's power. Right? You see this transformation, right? It's in the Christmas story, right? When Joseph and Mary go to... Uh, to Bethlehem so that they can be registered. You know, they don't have a- enough time or they don't have enough money to get themselves an actual inn. So Mary has to give birth in a manger, right? Or so the story goes, right? So Mary is not, you know, Joseph and Mary, they're not a rich couple. They're actually really poor. They're not, you know, they're not like extremely poor that they're, you know, they have to beg, but, you know, they can still take care of Jesus, but they're not the most powerful people in the world. They're not people who are great. They're not amazing scholars. They're not super smart. They're not amazing with their tests or everything. You know, things that we really care about in our society. There's some, they're people that are completely average. But in this averageness, you know, they have beautiful character. You know, the things that God looked for is our character. The thing that God wants from us is 
what is on the inside. From the outside, right, from the outside culture, Joseph might seem like an embarrassment. Joseph might seem foolish. Joseph might seem like a person who doesn't know what they're doing. Also from Mary, right, submitting to God to give birth to a child when you're so young and you have no money, that's foolishness, right? But they have hope. They have faith in what God is doing. And that is what God cares about the most. Like our belief is the thing that gives us power. Not power within this world, but a spiritual power that God will help us through to overcome our fears so that we may be able to persevere in this journey that we call life. All right, so next slide, please. Say so the rich and powerful, God chose the poor and vulnerable Mary and Joseph to bring Jesus the hope of salvation into this world. The most important thing, this baby that will come to die on a cross for our sins, right? He didn't choose the best upbringing. He didn't choose the people who would protect Jesus the most. No, he chose what was necessary. God knew what he wanted for Jesus' upbringing. He chose the humble Mary and Joseph who would love and care about him. They would have to go through many trials. Many people would try to kill Jesus. And, you know, many people were seeking after Jesus' life, even when he was a child, right? But Mary and Joseph, you know, they continued to love Jesus, sacrificing themselves to take care of him, right? Just like how our parents sacrificed themselves in taking care of us. Just like how God sacrifices his son to love us, to care for us, right? This is the constant renewal of love, the constant bringing in that comes from humility and not come from dominance or power, right? This is what true love looks like, right? There are many times, right? In Roman law, you know, actually, the father would be considered the head of the household. It would be a literal patriarchy. The woman cannot, you know, disagree with the father. You know, if she disagreed, then he can actually just put her outside or put her into jail. Not only that, but the, the father had dominion over all of his children. He could sell his children into slavery, right? So if he didn't like the son, he would just sell him off, right? If he didn't like this daughter, he would sell her off right, and get money for it. And that was allowed by the law. So during this time period, if, you know, Joseph is going through and kings are seeking Jesus' head, Joseph could have just, if he was in it for himself, he could have said like, hey, you know, I have Jesus. I'll let you have Jesus and I'll sell him to you. You just got to give me I don't know, a couple million dollars, right? He could have done that, but no, instead he chose to be with Jesus, to love Jesus, to protect him, right? like a good father should do, like a good father should do. And likewise, Joseph is the image of God, our father. He's not someone who will sell us into slavery. He's not someone who would put us, you know, abandon us and not call us his son, right? We are called sons and daughters of Christ. We are one body united with Jesus Christ if we believe in him. We are all together in this. And that is what God tells us, and that is what God promises us. Even through the most pain and suffering, even through the hardships of this world, right, the hope of salvation will always be there, pushing forward by not the powerful, by not the people who are self-interested, but that those who are humble, who look towards God and who believe in his message, that the coming kingdom will be here, that there will be peace on earth, that God will be here to wipe every tear from our eyes, right? That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that we continue striving for, why we love other people, why we love each other, why we continue to love our enemies. It's because we have that hope that we are willing to suffer 
just as Joseph did, just as God did, just as Jesus did. All of these heroes of scripture were willing to suffer as they did so that we may be able to fulfill this dream that God has given us. All right, so next slide, please. Here's the big idea, right? The greatest gift that God gives to us comes from humble beginnings. The greatest gift that God gives to us comes from humble beginnings, right? The things that are most precious to us, the things that are most valuable to us, they shouldn't be the things that people consider to be the richest, consider to be the best, consider to be the most amazing in terms of material sense. In other ways, in other words, what God gives to us that we begin to cherish and we begin to love the most should be something that might other people see as foolishness, right? The gospel to the world is foolishness. You know, the gospel to non-believers, to atheists, to agnostics, or to, to Buddhists might seem like something that is completely insane to give your life towards. But we do it because of the beauty of it. We do it because we love Christ. We do it because we continue to desire to have more and more of God in our lives. Because we know that God is not someone who will sell us into slavery. We know that God is a good father to us, that he will call us our sons and daughters, not only in this life, but in the next. But all of it starts from the very humble beginning, just like how a small mustard seed can end up growing to becoming a huge tree, which all the birds can land and make their nests in. All right, so here's the application for us. Right? Whenever we are mocked or when we're made fun of, for our belief in Christ, for our faith in Christ, for our love for Christ. Stay humble just like Joseph. You know, the foolishness that the world sees in us, that is the, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Just like how we are all with one body, how we continue to love one another, to care for one another, and to encourage one another, that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But also at the same time, when we're met with opposition, when we love Jesus in public, that can be very embarrassing. But think, be reminded of Joseph. When he was carrying Jesus, when town, other town goers would see him, it's like, oh man, that guy's taking care of another person's son. How embarrassing. He knows that all of this embarrassment is for his son. All of this embarrassment is for Christ, for Jesus, the person that he loves. Right? Are you willing to be embarrassed for the people that you love? Are you willing to be embarrassed or made fun of? for Christ. Right? That's what I wanted to ask us today. Right? We should be willing to do so, to have these conversations, not just so to prove ourselves and our faith, but actually to show you know, diligent worship towards God, but also at the same time, because we want to share the good news and the good message that God has given to us. Right? Love, care, that God loves you, that can kind of be a cliche, but also at the same time, it's a beautiful truth. Right? That's the beautiful truth. And when you have that, when you have that inside of your lives, when you know this is true, right? the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, working in you, transforming you. And you, being part of the temple of God, begin to transform other people next to you and around you. Right? That's what I hope for all of us. So just one application. Right? So next time people make fun of you, you know, hey, you love Jesus too much. You just say, you're right, I do. <laughs> Actually, maybe not enough. I need to love Jesus more, right? Take courage. Don't take yourselves so seriously, right? When people make fun of us, when people mock us, you know, sometimes maybe they're right, right? Sometimes we have to stay humble, 
Maybe we have to accept, look at it from a different picture. We look at it from Jesus' eyes. When Jesus was mocked, when Jesus was beaten, when Jesus was taken up to the cross, he did not say, like, you guys don't know what you're doing. You know, God will punish you. He says, no, God, please forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So let us have a similar heart, right? When people mock us, when people make fun of us for our faith, when we are afraid, right, when we have this fear of sharing the gospel, like, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know, you know, this person is struggling through a lot. The things they're saying, you know, I don't believe with them, but I don't know what to say. Maybe I'll just agree with them. No, you pray to God, right? God, help me with my unbelief. God, I pray that you give me faith so that I will be able to overcome fear. I pray that I'll be able to overcome fear, just as Joseph did, just as Jesus did on the cross. I'm sure Jesus was afraid to be tortured like that, to be abandoned by God, to be separated from him, and to die. You know, in Jesus' heart, his faith in his Father would help him overcome it. So just likewise in us, right? When we have faith, when we believe, we can overcome all fears and everything that the world throws against us. All right, let us pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you for this time to just read your word, to understand a little bit more about the Christmas story. I pray that you continue to work in us so that we may have faith to be able to overcome fear of embarrassment, to overcome fear of anxieties, to be able to share your gospel and to love your son just as you've called us to do. I pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.